1 John. In order to introduce this message, I, I've asked a, a very special helper to help me out here. This is my youngest daughter, Hayden. She is, I have, I have three favorite girls. This is one of those three. And, uh, and um, so I asked Hayden if she could help me out. You know what would be interesting? It would be interesting if, if, if here I am talking to Hayden, I'm touching him, hugging her. But what would happen if next week, if next Sunday somebody would walk in here at Pathway and be like, you know the, the funny thing about last week, September the 19th? The funny thing about September 19th is that Hayden wasn't at Pathway. What would happen then? There'd be a, about 250 people that would say, ah, actually, Hayden was here. And, and, and that person might say, well, how do you know? Well, it's because I saw her. I heard her talk. I saw her. I, I, I listened as she said things. I touched her. So I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Hayden was here on September 19th. What is your point, Scott? I'm glad you asked. Here's my point. As we get into the book of 1 John, do you know that that's how John starts his epistle here? He starts this letter. He says, listen, there are some amongst us who might be saying that it was just a ghost, an aberration. Some amongst us who don't are, are teaching false doctrine. But I want to tell you something. I lived with the guy. I, I walked with Jesus for several years. In fact, I know he was real and is real. Because why? Because I saw him. I talked with him. I touched him. I heard him talk. He's real. And I want to say to all of you here today, if you're struggling today to whether to know whether God is real and God is alive, stay with us through the book of 1 John because John is giving a first, a first person testimony of the, of the goodness of Jesus. In fact, he says, the reason I'm writing this letter, the reason I'm writing this epistle is because I want all of you to know Jesus told us some things and I want to pass them on to you. Jesus is real today. And if you have yet to experience him, he's as real as me standing on this stage today, as real as Hayden standing on this stage today. And God wants to have a personal relationship with you today. Are you with me today? Give Hayden a, a hand, will you? Thank you, my darling. Very good job. You, you're very gifted, very gifted. So as we look at 1 John, there's, there's only five chapters in this book. And what that means is several things, several things. One thing is we'll be done with this by the end of November. Okay, just, and you can hold me to that. But the other thing it, it means is, it, is that in these five chapters, it gives us clear evidence, not just who Jesus is, but how can I know that I know Jesus? How can I know that my faith is authentic? How can I know that I am really born again, that I am really saved, that my faith is genuine. And once we nail this down, and as we study this in 1 John, I'm telling you, it, there ought to be so much assurance that rises up in your heart. You ought to be so assured of the fact that I am born again. I am saved. And you know what that ought to lead to? It ought to lead to great joy in your heart. To know that I am, I am born again. I've been forgiven. I've been washed. My sins have been taken away. There ought to be great joy. But I remember what James and his brother John, who wrote this, what was, their, what was one of their nicknames? They were the sons of thunder. 
First John brings the thunder. And we're going to bring the thunder from First John because it gives much needed warning to those of us who lack this evidence of authentic faith. Listen, it's entirely possible, everyone listen to me, it's entirely possible to think that things are okay between you and God when in reality they aren't. And your, eternal, your, your eternity is hanging in the balance. Scott, how can I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am saved, that I have authentic faith? I want to talk to you about that today. In fact, I want to share with you, uh, if you grab the notes in the seat in front of you, grab the notes in the seat in front of you, I want to share with you one truth, one truth, and three lies. <laughs> one truth and three lies. And it's, uh, we're, we're, we're going to join John as he confronts. If you didn't hear the intro message last week on the book of John, I really encourage you to listen to that. But just know this. We're studying the, the book of uh, 1 John, and uh, this is the same dude that was an apostle, disciple, very likely Jesus' best friend, at the very least, in the, in the top three that he seemed to spend most time talking to and spending time with. He wrote the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. Now, when I say written, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, we realize that. And so 1st John chapter 1, verse 5, let's figure out this truth. You might grab the pen in the back of the seat or steal it from your neighbor and, and write this in. Truth number one, we're going to find it in verse 5. This is the, look at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Truth number one, pretty simple. God is light. John is saying, oh, we heard this from, from Jesus. And do you know where that was? John's gospel actually records one of the times where he talked about this. Interesting. John chapter 8, verse 12. Um, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said... I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Note how John uses this again. Jesus told him this, so Jesus uses this idea of I'm light, I'm the light of the world. So, okay, so we understand that. So Jesus is the light, and John says, why light? Of all the things that Jesus could have compared himself to, what is it about light? Think about it. What does light do? Well, in some ways, it's easier to say what darkness does than what light does, but light makes things visible, right? Darkness makes it hard to see. Light enables people to see. Light does things like produces growth. You think about the trees and the grass and the flowers, right? They need what? They need light. In fact, maybe they need a certain amount of light, and so plant these where there's half shade and half sun, and, but they need light to grow. Uh, light is is uh, it, it bring it reveals beauty. If if you just if you saw me in the dark, you wouldn't see. But when that light shines on me, oh my! The handsomeness that pours off of my face is just overwhelming to you. I know. I hope you can just get through this message and focus on the Word of God. I'm joking, of course. But light reveals beauty. It provides safety. Why do most crimes happen at night? It's because it's, you're sneaking around. You know, you think about this great building we have. 
And uh, some of you, you know the whole story of how we even ended up here, uh, how we ended up with this property, and it, it, it was just a God thing. And we have a beautiful building, um, place where people meet with God. We know that we dedicate this building and this, these grounds to the, to the work of the Lord and for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. We know life change happens here, but this is really just a tool that God uses. It's, it's not necessarily that God's presence dwells here. He dwells inside of us. We know that. We realize that. But can I tell you, this wonderful edifice the Lord's blessed us with, when you come out here at about 10 o'clock at night and it's pitch dark, it's creepy. Matt is laughing because he knows. I mean, every once in a while, it'll, it'll be 9, 10 o'clock. I don't know what time. Be, oh, I got to go, go get something from my office. Whatever. And I'll come out here, and we, have, we even have a security system. And it's still creepy because you, you, you unlock the door, and you open it up, and you, instantly you hear what? Beep. And you got 30 seconds. And if you happen, and it's happened, if you happen to forget your code because you're just overwhelmed with the darkness and the creepiness and, and you're trying to punch in the code and like, what is my code? And, and when, you, when you step into this foyer especially and it's pitch dark, I'm telling you, it's creepy. But you hit that light and what happens? I ain't afraid of no ghost. I mean, <laughs> what? I got the Holy Ghost, you know? <laughs> you know, you walk, the light suddenly is like, Man, I could take on every devil in hell right now, you know? Just a few moments ago, I was a scaredy cat. But at that moment, I'm, a, I'm you know, why? Because light, light, when, when you see light, you see things for the way they really are. And when Jesus Christ, he says, I am the light. He's saying, I am what is good. I am what is pure, what is true, what is holy, what is reliable. Light reveals, light shines, and that's our Lord. You know, this isn't the only place that Jesus talks about God and himself being the light. Can you think about a psalm? Psalm chapter 27, look at this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Interestingly enough, in, in the new heavens and the new earth, do I need to get my chart up here? In the new heavens and the new earth, um, at the very end, when, when God creates the new heavens and the Bible says in the book of Revelation, we're not even gonna need the sun anymore. Look at this. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. Just his glory, his radiance will fill the, the, the new heavens and the new earth. How awesome is that? He's the light. And through Christ being in us, guess what? Through Jesus being on the inside of you and I, who is now also the light? Jesus says it, Matthew chapter five. Look at this on the screen. You are the light of the world. Whoa. When Jesus comes inside of me and lives inside of me, I invite him in. I repent of my sins. Now I am joining in with you. I am now the light of the world. I'm called to spread. The city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it on a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. Everywhere I go, I ought to shine the light of Jesus Christ. Go even a little bit further in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, it says it this way. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's the very important piece. Because we're not just light. You know, you need to shine your inner light. You have an inner light. Let that light shine. 
No, no, no. You have Jesus Christ. He's the light. He's the one that you need to shine. Shine the love of Jesus. Let people see Jesus, not me, because I'm a mess. But when Jesus Christ comes into my life, redeems me, sets me free from my sin, now there's something to talk about. Not talking about Scott Miller. I'm talking about Jesus, the light of the world. And so we are the light. Okay, so and, and one more thing before we move on. This, this is just the first verse. Oh, buckle up. So he says there's no darkness in him. You get that? Um, verse five, this is the message we have uh, from him. Declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So it, it's not like, well, um, God's pretty good. He's, he's light and he's got a little bit of darkness. He likes to fool around a little bit. You know, he's, he's a man's man. You know, No, 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 no. There is no sin in our God. In fact, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The God we serve, there's no darkness in him. There's no sin in him. So we get that. Let's move on. That's the truth. God is light. Uh, the second thing I want you to get, but it's, it's the, first, the first lie. You ready? Fill this in your notes, will you? The first lie is this. It's found in verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Okay. First thing I want you to see is this. Notice from this passage that walking in the light is the condition of fellowship, not only with God, but also with other believers. This is important to know. Look, look at this again in verse six. If we claim to have fellowship with him, okay, who's him? If we claim to have fellowship with him, the Lord. If we claim to have fellowship with God, uh, and, and, and we're walking in darkness, it can't be. So basically what I'm saying to you is, is in, in fact, I'm not saying the gospel. Jesus, the book of Acts, other teaching all throughout the Bible says this in the New Testament. It says Jesus is the only way to get to God, right? My good works, my goodness, my stuff, my being a good, a good little boy, whatever it might look like, that's not going to get me salvation. My works will not get me salvation. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that I have forgiveness and I have salvation. It's only through Jesus. It's only through being in fellowship with Jesus that then I can have fellowship with God the Father. We get that. That's scriptural. It's what the Bible says. But then also look in, in verse 7. Uh, but if we walk in the light and see in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we're in the light, if we follow Jesus, then we have fellowship with one another. There might be some of you, you're like, man, I'm just, I'm struggling to fit in at, at church. I'm just, well, let me just ask you, how in love with Jesus are you? Because I'm absolutely convinced the more Jesus is the center of your life, the more Jesus is the center of everything you do, the more you allow Jesus Christ to be your immovable center, the closer you're going to feel to God, the closer you're going to feel to one another the closer the fellowship is going to be in this church. We like to say it this way. Our, our vision statement, where are we going as a church, is let's be all in. Let's be all 
in. What does that look like? It means Jesus is our immovable center. He isn't an optional weekend activity. He's not an add-on to our already busy lives. He's not just a tradition. Jesus is who we build our lives around. We're fully devoted. We're all in. And the way we get all in to just start it all off is to connect to God through Jesus Christ. It's to connect to Jesus so that we can really have a heart. And that's why, that's why when, when, when you're thinking about a life group, and, and it's not too late. You can still sign up for a life group today. If you, if you haven't plugged in yet, find somewhere to plug in. But it really is less and less about who else is in that group. Who else can I, 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 I want to go be in this. It's really more about when we come together, it's not about you or you or you. It's about Jesus. At the center of your life group, let it be Jesus. The thing that's bringing us together is Jesus. You may be a band parent, or you may be a football parent, or you may be a wrestling, or a volleyball parent, or you may be a homeschooler, or you may be this, whatever it may look like, it doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is Jesus is at the center of it all. Jesus is at the center. That's our passion. And when Jesus is at the center, that's how we get fellowship with God. And that's how we get, and Jesus, of course, is fully God. And that's how real, genuine fellowship comes with one another. I want you to see that. But now let's move on. Okay. Now this is where it starts to get a little hairy. This is where it starts to get a little hairy. In, in, in a straightforward, like, bring the thunder way. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, do you hear the thunder? Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Do you hear the thunder? Before I say anything further, I want to point something out. I am not God. I am not God. I cannot pronounce you saved. Amen, thou art saved, amen. You are born again. I can't, I can't. But I can point you to scripture that tells you this is how you, 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 you get a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's through repentance and asking him to forgive, repentance and receiving him, freely receiving his forgiveness. I can tell you that's what the Bible says. And then the Bible's very clear here. If we claim to have fellowship, salvation with the Lord, yet walk in darkness. I just I want to talk about that for, for a few moments. In fact, sometimes I'll hear people outside of church and they say something. Christians are so judgmental. That just drive me nuts. I can't stand Christians. They're so judgmental. And I understand in some ways why you might say that. Uh, someone might say that. The interesting thing is, are you not judging Christians for being judgmental by what you were saying that was kind of judgmental about judgmental Christians? Anyhow, let's move on. As Christians, um, we don't have to be judgmental. In, in, in fact, um, we're not meant to be the Holy Spirit. We're here to, what? Let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit convict people. Let the Holy Spirit show people the error of their sins. Um, and, and there are times, sure, where we need to preach and teach and, and love people enough to share the truth with them. But it's, it's not because we're, we're thinking we're all better than them. We're saying, no, here, here, here's the, the one that's better than us. Here's the one that's better than all of us, the one who knew no sin. And let me just tell you what he says about our lives. And I'm not perfect and you're not perfect, but this right here judges us all. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says that. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Don't judge me. I feel so judged. Well, we can't get around it. The word of God judges us. And so when we line our lives up, it's not how, how, how much like me are you? 
No, it's not that. It's how much like Jesus are you? How much like the word of God are you? And, and so as, as we think of it from that perspective and from that way, um, this book says that, that your faith, let me just lay it out there, ready? Okay, here it is, bring in the thunder. This book says your faith is not authentic if you're living in blatant, continual, unconfessed sin. If I continually and willfully choose to sin over and over and over again, the book is saying, the Bible is saying, the light of Christ is not in me and I'm living in darkness. That's what this says. For the sake of further just driving it home here, um, I've been studying, uh, uh, just started reading the book of Romans again in my personal devotional time. So the other day I read Romans chapter one. There's several places in the New Testament where uh, where the the New Testament writers, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is like, okay, let me just bring this home. I know we've been talking about sin, but let me, just, let me just bring this home. These are the sins we're talking about. We're just going to lay this out. Put the cookies on the bottom shelf so everyone can reach them, everyone can get to them. Here it is, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires, we jumped a few verses there, but of sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another, He's, he's, he's naming sin here. He's laying out this is sin. These are sins. They exchange, exchange the truth of God for a lie, worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. So, right there. There were some who were, were putting creation ahead of God. They were worshiping created things, uh, man-made things, or, or even creation. They were worshiping, they were putting other things in the place that only God was supposed to be. That would be a sin who is forever praised, amen. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lusts for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. It's just talking about homosexuality there, straight up. There's no way of getting around it. Homosexuality is sin, and it's something that needs to be dealt with. And so you go back to um, uh, people that serve created things rather than the creator. If you, if me, let me just pick on myself. If I have things in my life that take the place of God, they're an idol in my life, so God is here and this is here. It could be good things. It could be family. It could be friends. Um, it could just be even my job. It could be all kinds of things. that It's not inherently sinful. But if that comes before God, we have issues. That's sin, and we need to deal with it. If someone in this room is, is, is living a, a life of homosexuality, the Bible is saying if you're, if you're, if you're living in that, in that lifestyle and you're staying in that lifestyle, there's no repentance, there's no forgiveness. You're just like, I'm fine, I'm a Christian. I'm, the Bible is saying, no, that's darkness, that's sin. Let's keep going. Verse 28, furthermore, since they didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Let's just pick one out. Have you dealt with greediness? I mean, are you always wanting more stuff, more money, more toys, more things? 
Uh, is, is that your thing? You're, like, you're so greedy and you, and you see what someone else has and you almost lust after it. You're greedy. Let me tell you, if you don't deal with that root of sin, if you don't repent of that, if I don't repent of that, and that's just continually, continually, that's sin and we need to deal with it, then, then this is what the Word of God says. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in sin or darkness, we lie. And the truth of God, the light of God, is not in us. Let's keep going. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. I, I read somewhere locally, I, maybe I shouldn't even say this, but I'm going to say it because it's, it's in the news. There was someone who, who murdered someone in our county recently and apparently drove around with the dead body in their vehicle for at least a day. And I, I just read the headlines, but I'm just like, I don't understand that, but obviously a murderer... And if that, if, if that person or anyone in this room, if you ever murder someone, I pray you don't. But if you ever do, I'm just, I just want to tell you, you better repent. We've got to repent. This is sin. Uh, um, uh, so uh, they're, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. If I, if I hold on to that sin and I'm like, that's eh, no big deal and I just go on living, I don't repent, then the light of God is not in you. The love of God is not in you. Let's keep going. They're gossip, slanderers. Well, I've never been a homosexual, but let me tell you who is. Listen, gossip and slander will destroy churches quicker than almost any other sin. It's true. When people start to slander, and we've, we've had a great, a great run with this as a church over 21 years. We don't have a lot of gossip and a lot of yapping and a lot of slander and a lot of talking behind each other's backs. And we confront it if we see it, if we, if, if we understand whether, but let me just tell you, if you're someone who loves what Proverbs calls the choice morsels of gossip and you get a hold of something, it's like, it's a choice morsel. Oh, I can't wait to pass that puppy on. You need to deal with that because that's sin. It's sin. And if you go on, I'm not saying this, the Word of God is saying this. If you go on in gossip and slander, and, and you don't repent of that sin, and you just think, ah, it's not that big of a deal, it's just the way they are, the way I am. This is what it says. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie. You're a liar. You're lying about your salvation. And the truth of God is not in you. Gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree, they know the truth. They know this is sin. They know that the righteous decree is this is sin. This is wrong. I should not be doing this. They know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. But they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Let's just stop there, but oh, that's huge. Because this is where it, it I, you just said a bunch of sins, and, and I know I'm not perfect, and I'm sure there's some of those that, that we've all struggled with at times, whatever. But, um, but what, if, what, if, what if all we do, what if, what if we do is we just approve of those who practice them? 
it's not that big of a deal. I know it's wrong. I know the Bible says it's wrong, but you know, we're just going to kind of brush it under the carpet. Don't talk about it. You know, don't ask, don't tell. I mean, it's, it's going to, I'm just, I, we're just going to, we're just going to look the other way. I mean, I know they're committing fornication, but I'm just going to go this way. I know that they're yapping all the time. I know it's like daggers coming out of their mouth, saying things about people, sharp dagger, nice, just, I mean, it's like daggers coming out of their mouths every time they talk about people. But I'm just going to kind of just look the other way, and I'm just, in a sense, by not saying something, by not confronting, what are we doing? We are approving of those who practice them. So this message, I really believe it's for, for us all. So Scott, at what point, look at, look at the list from Romans, just this list, at what per point does someone go from having the light of Christ in them to being in the dark? I don't know. I want you to hear, hear me clearly on something. I believe strongly in the security of the believer. I believe it is really, 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 really hard for us to lose our salvation. When you truly repent of your, of your sins and you come to Christ and you truly, you, you turn your life over to him and say, my warts and all, here it is, Jesus, take me, use me, and you turn your life over to him, there is such a security of the believer. There is such an assurance that I am saved and a security that my, my God will never leave me or forsake me. But there is a free will. And if because of my blatant sin over and over and over again, my unrepented blatant sin if I stay in that sin and I live in that sin, a.k.a. darkness, then the Bible says the life of God's not in me. At some point, I want to be very clear, it's really hard to lose your salvation, but also it can happen. And I know there's some uh, amongst us here in this church, there's a debate on that. I know there's some uh, who debate, well, can a person who's really saved really lose their salvation? Can you reach a point where you have been so apostate, where you just flung your nose at God that, that you, you make the decision that you walk away from God and your salvation is severed? Can that happen? Well, let me ask you this. Who, who is this letter to? This letter was written to the churches of Asia that John had oversight of. Look at the language. Verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him, we, church. He didn't say, go stand on the street corners of Ephesus or whatever city and just stand there and say, now listen, everyone. If you don't have the light of Jesus Christ. No, he's saying we as a church. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, this is speaking to us as a church Wow. Um, let's jump to Revelation 3.5. Can you go there, Aaron? Revelation 3.5. He says, he who overcomes will like them be dressed in white. I'll never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. I know, again, there's debate on this, but I'm just telling you, it, it, I will never blot out his name from the book of life. Why, why would that even be in there if there wasn't a chance that it could happen? All I'm saying is I, I'm a firm doctrinally, we believe that you can reach a point where you're apostate. You, you, we can reach a point where we have sinned, sinned, and sinned, and sinned, 
and we haven't repented, we have no desire, our heart is not to repent, whatever, where God says, that's your choice. You have a free will. I don't think every moment you make a willful decision to sin that you instantly lose your salvation. You hear me? But according to the Bible, if you are unrepent about, unrepentant about that sin and you continue in that sin, wow, that's the night the light went out in Georgia for you. <laughs> Georgia being your salvation. If you claim to have fellowship with Jesus, but you keep living in darkness, sexual sin, immorality, um, uh, gossip, slander, whatever that is. You know it's wrong. You understand it's wrong, but you could care less. You're like, I, I'm, that's not that big of a deal. I'm just going to go on. Then something's wrong. And John's saying, wake up, church. God respects our free will way too much to force his plan of salvation upon us. He invites us to receive this awesome gift of forgiveness of our sins, but we can say, no, I don't want it anymore. Let me push this a little further. Our culture stepping further and further away from the light and the truth of scripture. Even whole churches are turning from truth. Let me just say something real quick. There are some pastors in our community that I meet with on a regular basis, and I know many great churches um, that are preaching the Bible, preaching truth. But I also know there are some amongst us that would fit into what Paul wrote to, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want them to hear, wants to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Be very, very careful when, when we're in fellowship with other believers that we are in fellowship with true believers. I mean, that, that, and that's, that's all I'm gonna say about that. But if I can claim to be in the light, claim to have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, claim to be a Christian, but I walk in continual, outright, blatant sin, I'm living a lie in the light of Christ. The truth of Christ, according to 1 John, is not in me. Well, looks like I need to find another church. Let me tell you something. If what I just said is uncomfortable to you, and you go looking for another church that doesn't preach and teach exactly what 1 John is saying here, you haven't found a church. You found a fake church. A fake group of people who are Christian in name only. And it sickens God, and it ought to sicken you. When someone stands up publicly and claims the name of Christianity and claims the name of Christ, but they're walking in continual, outright, blatant sin. None of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. But if you and I were to choose, if you and I were to choose to, to live in blatant sin and not deal with it, then the, the, the scripture says the light of Christ is not in me. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him. I raised my hand. I checked the box. I went forward. I knelt. I prayed the prayer. I know him but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 
This is heavy, right? So how do I respond to this? What's our response? I'm glad you asked. Because let me tell you about the blood of Jesus. Let me tell you about the one who went to the cross for every one of those sins. Let me tell you the one who loved, for God so loved the world. God so loved you that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to come and die for you. You deserve death. I deserve death because of my sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus and what he did on the cross. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us. Hear me. Hear me, church. If you're concerned, am I really saved? I don't know. Come to Jesus. Repent of your sins. Turn from those sins, and Jesus will come and cleanse you of every single one of them. Amen? Let's go to verse 8. Let's finish this up. Second lie. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Second one, fill this in your notes. If we claim we have no sin, lie number two. If you claim you have no sin, that's a lie. To help us understand this further, let's use the the New Living Translation says it this way. Um, Can you go back to that verse? If we claim we have no sin... Okay, go back to the context. These false teachers refused to take sin seriously. And so John was confronting some of these false teachers and saying that they had no sin. There were, scholars would say there's one of three things that, that was the point of this verse. Let's just look at them real quick because I think it's helpful and we're gonna zero in on number two. But the first thing is this, three things. There we go. Um, in saying that they had no sin, they may have been saying one of three things, that they did not need Jesus' death on the cross. Why not? Well, if we claim to be without sin, we don't need what Jesus did on the cross. Second thing, they may have considered that Jesus' death abolished all sin, including the ability to sin. I'm going to come back to that one. Number three, they may have been teaching the false notion that the spirit and the body are completely separate and that whatever a person does in the body does not affect the spirit. Paul teaches uh, that um, uh, in one point, in one of the Thessalonians, he talks about spirit, soul, and body. And there is a teaching that would say If I sin in my body, I I do something with my body and it's sinful, my my spirit is still saved. And and I just want to be very clear. Uh, We we would push against that. We don't believe that's biblical. We don't believe that's right. Because it's all one. It's all intertwined together. Though you may have uh, set up in three different ways, they're all one together. And I don't have time to go deeper in that. But the second one is the one I want to talk about because I've heard this. The second one, I've heard that it's being taught in in some churches, even our own region. They have considered that Jesus' death abolished all sin, including the ability to sin. We're talking about a sin nature. Now, um, uh, doctrinally, what we would believe is this, is that we will always have a sin nature. Now, we die to sin, and we crucify our flesh and our fleshly desires, and we repent of our sins, and Jesus Christ comes in, and he will not allow us to be tempted in any way beyond what we can handle or bear. We know that. Scripture says that. But we, we, would, we would believe that you still have a sin nature. Now, there are those that would say, when you got saved, you no longer have a sin nature. 
And I, I don't have a lot of time to go here, but I, I, can, I can go to Romans chapter 7, verse 15. And every time I read this passage, I end up just kind of like, okay, I got to read this like another hundred times to really get this. But the Apostle Paul is saying, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. But if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is. It is no longer my, I myself who do it, but it is a sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. This is the Apostle Paul. In my sinful nature. If I have desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Bottom line is this. From this passage, let me just tell you. The Apostle Paul is saying, I still have a sin nature. And boy, do I get frustrated sometimes. Because it gets the best of me. And I've got to go to God and I've got to repent about it. Because I still sin. When we take communion on a regular basis here at, a church, at our church, we always pause and say, would you search your heart? Take some time to search your heart. Is there any unconfessed sin that you need to deal with? You don't have to wait for communion to do that, though. In fact, the goal is, is the moment you know you sinned, that you repent right then and there. But sometimes in the business of life, we, we miss it. And so that's why at least once a day, it's not a bad idea. Just to, just to hit pause and just search your heart. Is there anything I said, did, or whatever that I need to repent of? Because even as believers... Even though our sin nature, I mean, even though Jesus Christ has forgiven us, we're still going to go on sinning. But, but the good news is this, verse 9. Ready for this? Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In light of the facts... We should admit our weaknesses to God. We should confess them rather than rationalize or deny them. If I have sin in my heart and my life, the better than, well, it's because um, uh, that happened when I was a child. Listen, we've all had trauma that happened to us in a child. I'm not, I'm not belittling what happened to you as a child, but what I can say is God has freed you from the past and set you free. I could, I could stand up here the rest of my life and blame August 10th, 1990, when my parents were killed by a drunk driver, and I could blame my, the whole rest of my life on that. Well, Scott didn't have any parents, so I guess it, it's understandable why every Friday night and Saturday night he goes out and gets drunk and, and just wastes away his sorrows. I just, I can, does that, does what happened in my past, does that mean that it's okay, I can just do whatever I want? No. What I need to do is I need to bring that, by the way, I, I don't go party on Friday and Saturday night, but I just want to clarify, but I, I want you to get that. Um, is that we have to take ownership of our sin and repent of our sins. And he's faithful and he's just and he'll forgive every single one. By refusing to admit sin, people cheat themselves out of the possibility of real, genuine fellowship with God the Father. 1 John 1, 8. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Notice verse, verse 6. You don't have to go back there up on the screen, but if we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we lie. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, so we're lying to ourselves. But then verse 10 really brings the thunder, the final thunder for today. Lie number 3 is in verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Verse 8 seems to talk more about the concept of sin, that we have a sin nature. Verse 10 speaks more to the action of sin. If we claim to have not 
sinned. Some false teachers even had the goal to make this claim that even if they did have a sin nature, who cares? I've never actually sinned. They were claiming they had not sinned. That was a lie, and they ignored one basic truth. All of us have sinned, right? All of us, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. These false teachers thought that their superior knowledge had placed them in a realm of sinless, causing them to be incapable of sinning. And this claim went beyond just telling a lie, like verse 6. This claim went, went beyond verse 8, merely fooling themselves. This claim was calling God a liar. God says all have sinned. Otherwise, he would not have needed to send his son, Jesus Christ, right? Why did God the Father even send Jesus to die for our sins if it wasn't needed? So this is kind of a no-brainer. But John wanted his readers to understand that people who make such a denial of sinful acts do not have the word of God uh, permeating, changing their lives, because the word of God clearly states throughout that all people sin, all of us have sinned. All of us, me, you, all of us have sinned and come short of God's standards. So hear me on something today. There's some Christians wrongly assume that spiritual maturity will result in sinless living. And they, they, they beat themselves up because um, I've been in church for so long. I've followed Christ for so long. I follow Jesus. I mean, and I, I'm not perfect, but I, I've spent time in prayer. I spent time reading the Bible. I, I'm even in one of those things my pastor keeps blabbing about a life group. I'm in one, okay? But sometimes I still sin, and I hate this about myself. Sometimes I still sin. And, and, you, and, and you know, the, the enemy, you know what he does? He comes at you and keeps reminding you over and over and over and over of your sin. Here's my question for you are, are you repenting of it? I mean, the goal is that when you're tempted, that you're like, no way, Jose, not going there, right? But if you do give in to a sin, do you repent right then and there? Do you come, or do you let the enemy, because the enemy will come in, doesn't he? The enemy comes in and says, God doesn't love you anymore. <laughs> you call yourself, he talks like that too. You call yourself a believer? He usually cups his hands when he talks to me. You call yourself a Christian? You call yourself a Christian, and you're doing these kind of things. You sinner, you're worthless. I mean, the devil comes in, and then what does that do to you? That makes you feel worthless, like a sin. And so you're just like, God, I don't even want to talk to you today. I'm, I'm just, you're, you're like the, the little one-year-old that just pooped his pants. It's like, <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. I didn't plan on saying that. It just <laughs> popped. But ashamed. I know I shouldn't have done that, but. I did, and, and that's the way we feel about God. And, and so, uh, believers, I want to just encourage you with something. Don't listen to the enemy. Just let it be. Grieve over your sin. I grieve when I, when I say something, think something I know I shouldn't have said or done. I, I want us to grieve over our sin, but let's repent of it. Repent of it, and let's move on. So believers, listen, I, I want you to hear that. But the, the other challenge is this. Other Christians recognize that the presence of sin is still a reality in the life of every believer because we still have that sin nature. 
and they respond to God's ongoing forgiveness and grace by treating their own sin lightly and by downplaying the need of obedience. And they, they might say it like this, oh, I'm just looking for a grace church. I'm looking for a grace church. I need a church that preaches grace. Listen, you've come to a grace church, but you've also come to a just church. God is a merciful God, and he's loving, and, and if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But there's also a justness, and if you're gonna live in rebellion against God, then there's gonna be consequences, and, uh, and, and it's both and, brother. It's both and, sister. If a church is all they preach is grace, grace, love, love, they're missing another dynamic of God, which is justice and justness. And he holds us accountable. And so um, don't treat your sin lightly. Don't downplay the need for being obedient to Scripture. Because as we learn in our passage of Scripture today, for us, for us to say that I'm following Jesus Christ, but have blatant, outright sin on our lives, um, we're, we're, the love of Christ is not in us. And this is heavy. And I know some of you like today, you might leave here, this is the most angry I've ever been at Scott. I just, I can't believe that guy, he just, and I'm fine with that. And let me just encourage you with something. Come back next week. We're gonna continue in this book and you're gonna begin to see what God's trying to say to us as a church. It's time, God's saying, wake up, wake up, wake up. And let's respond. Would you stand with me today? Worship team, would you come?